cliffcentral.com. It is time, and I see he is looking uh, extremely uh, ambitious for the forthcoming year. He's looking uh, happy and healthy, and I'm pleased to see it. JJ Cornish, how are you, sir? Bonjour to you. I'm immensely well, and bonne année. Yes, bonne année to you. So, JJ, um, I, I hope you had a nice Christmas and New Year. Of course, the news never takes a break, so there's lots to talk about this morning. Uh, but how are you before we crack into all of the information? Any better, Gareth, I'd have to tell the cops. Eh? <laughs> ah, ah, ah. Now, we were just talking, JJ, about the, the situation on two of our borders. There seems to be quite a lot of traffic um, on the Lesotho border and obviously the one that everyone's talking about, the Zimbabwean border at the moment. And this has to do with um, a number of things. It has to do with our own incompetence in, in running our borders properly, which has been an issue for years, but now with COVID is exacerbated. And it has to do also with COVID because COVID is one of the reasons that we are taking so long to process people. We're very concerned to be letting people in, people who could be spreading the disease. But the rest of Africa seems to be taking a very laissez-faire policy about COVID. I have friends who went to Tanzania and they said to me they could care less in Tanzania about coronavirus. Well, you know, what they've said in Tanzania and John Magafuli uh, a, a, a rather authoritarian figure, but he is saying uh, that we're not going to have vaccines in uh, Tanzania. We're simply going to use herbal measures. Now, we've had herbal measures against COVID uh, all over Africa, starting with uh, the that soft drink in Madagascar and, and others. Uh, but now, you know, I mean, the, the fact is Africa is approaching the second wave. Uh, South Africa by far leads the number of cases, the number of deaths, the number of recoveries too. Uh, and the World Health Organization has put it top of the list of 10 African countries that it regards as the most serious. Mm-hmm. Uh, but uh, we are nevertheless in Africa much lighter, uh, affected far more lightly mm-hmm. than uh, those in the rest of the world. As you see what's happening in Britain, in Germany, in Holland, France, the second round is very much in play, and there are new lockdowns. I mean, lockdowns that are virtually as serious as those in March. Yeah. Now, in Africa, we have uh, we have schools. Kenyan schools are going back or have gone back. Ghanaian schools are going back on the 9th. Uh, that's after being locked down since March. So life is, in a way, returning to normal. The fact is, though, Africa is not getting the vaccines. Hmm. You know, there's, they're, they're talking about an apartheid on vaccines. This COVAX situation through the World Bank Organization, World Health Organization, yes. is, is, you know, is underfunded. South Africa paid its deposit on that rather late. <laughs> Uh, and we haven't had, we haven't had any sign of it yet. So countries are having to, uh, find other means of getting uh, v- vaccines. You know, this is the light, so-called light at the end of the tunnel. Yeah. Well, we haven't seen that light yet. And, uh, until we do, uh, we're going to continue suffering as it were. Mm. But until we do, the rest of the world can't say that they've got immunity. You can't cut out an entire region yeah. uh, and, uh, and hoard the vaccine for yourself, which is what is happening three times the populations in some countries. There's enough vaccine to uh, put it into the arms of their population three times over. 
Well, uh, until they said it, I, get it to Africa, they won't have the so-called international herd immunity that they're looking for. I wonder if um, when the final analysis is done, and it might only be a year from now, that we eventually get to figure out the numbers. Um, because lockdowns, obviously, if, if they didn't, you know, if they'd worked the first time, we wouldn't have to do them a second time. But I wonder what countries like uh, like Tanzania will have on their balance sheet when it comes to deaths and infections and, and the effect on their economy under a president like uh, Magafule, when when we have, you know, the exact opposite happening here, happening here with Suriname Kize and lockdowns and testing and all of that stuff, I I wonder what uh, we're, we're going to find in the in the final accounting of this. It, it, at this point, it's going to be conjecture, but let's wait and see. Now, what I'm curious, you know, Gareth, it's going to be a really sort of deadly petri dish. Look at Sweden. I mean, Sweden, uh, well, yeah. well, it didn't have lockdowns. It hasn't done uh, many things. Well, of course, in Scandinavia, Sweden has the largest, highest death rate at the moment, and they're starting to uh, bring in tougher measures. Yeah. You know, the BBC reported tougher measures in Sweden for the first time since the pandemic. My daughter's teaching in Sweden. I phoned her. I said, well, at last they're doing something because she's been going to school every day as a mm-hmm. teacher, you know, and she's not allowed to wear a mask in the class because it frightens the children. <laughs> and I said, well, they're cutting down on uh, the – they're getting tougher. And she said, you know, they're, they're forcing mask wearing on public transport and so on. She said, yes, from the 19th of January. <laughs> <laughs> so, well, you know, but the thing about the Swedes, they say, well, if you're going to uh, – uh, we, we we advise you against traveling. Hmm. And they did that last Easter, and something like 11% of the population did travel. And at Christmas time, they cut back, or they advised people to cut back, and they did. Swedes are very obedient. Yeah. But they're also very stubborn in their way and, you know, and like to be right. And, and so when the final reckoning is done, as you mentioned, I think a lot I of wonder. countries are going to be quite red-faced with embarrassment, not to say yeah. – uh, complicit and liable to face a lot of legal action, I would have thought. Now, let's look, and and perhaps also if they did too much in the way of uh, trying to come up with plans, they might be held responsible for that too, if not legally, then at the ballot box. But let's see what happens. So, JJ, back to Africa, because I'm very curious about this one story that you've uh, been been playing around with. DRC President Felix uh, Chisikedi has has pardoned 28 people or 26 people, sorry, linked to the 2001 assassination of Laurent Kabila. Now, I remember that assassination. Was that never, wow. was, did we never find out who it was who did that? Did we never get to the bottom of that? Tell us the whole story here. Well, to this day, I'm getting reports that it was, in fact, South Africa was behind that. Hmm. And, and, and I mean, they denied, obviously. Okay. You know, Laurent Kabila, who Che Guevara described as a drunken whoremonger, uh, just to be polite, you know, uh, he he uh, is an example of democracy in Africa. Democracy in Africa means sometimes you don't really worry about who you vote about for. You simply vote against who's there because anything in the world would be better than that. Mm-hmm. The apartheid regime is is a perfect example. You know, well, how could you have voted for the ANC? People might say, well. Would you have voted to maintain the apartheid regime? No, nobody was going to do that. Nobody was going to keep voting for Idi Amin, 
We got Yoweri Museveni, who's been in there for more than three decades. Well, when we had Mobutu Seseseku, the kleptocrat par excellence, yes, anything was better than that. And South Africa helped to get him out. And in came Laurent Kabila. Uh, and, uh, and, and I think South Africa very early on realized that, you know, sometimes, and the, I remember an, a South African official saying to me, well, this is why we oppose that concept called regime change. Mm. If you're going to change your regime, you better know what you're going to replace it with. So we got Laurent Kabila and things looked very bad. Anyway, he got topped in, in January 21 and his bodyguard, uh, Eddie Kabila was, was blamed. Uh, 24 people got sentenced to death. None of those death sentences were ever carried out. Some people did die in jail. Well, of course, his son, Joseph, came in. Right. I remember going uh, to uh, observing elections where his son, Joseph, came in. And when his son spoke, uh, the, every, everybody in the hall I was in was laughing. And, uh, and they said, uh, well, I said, so what is so funny? And he said, well, listen to his accent. He's not even a Congolese, you know. And, and, and uh, anyway, he, he stood, he was there until 2019. And uh, uh, then he stepped down when Felix Chisakedi won the election. There was a kind of a coalition, but Chisakedi more and more and more, who was an arch rival, of course, of Kabila's, uh, has tried to uh, – run the country himself to be more independent. Mm -hmm. And perhaps this pardoning the 26 people who've been in jail, charged or or accused of the assassination attempt, pardoning them might be part of uh, his quest for independence. But, of course, the Congo has a a parlous record of political assassinations, starting with the 1961 killing of... um, Patrice Lamumba, you know, with yes. uh, with the Belgians, mm-hmm. uh, and and of course the CIA involved in that. Belgium has apologised for that, but that's one of the great uh, tragedies of Africa was the, the the assassination of Patrice Lamumba, the first independence leader of the Congo. Uh, so uh, it's a country that uh, you know the, the the fact is when you have outside interference in affairs, uh, things always go pear shaped. Would and it. JJ, would would uh, Joseph Kabila have had as long a tenure as he had, or even have risen to prominence if his father hadn't been killed? I would have, and, and I doubted that very, very uh, seriously. Uh, now he wasn't a wildly impressive guy. In fact, you know, Joseph Kabila, it has to be said, was uh, just a tad underwhelming. You know. <laughs> And the Congo, I mean, you've been to the Congo. So to me, it's always been this really fascinating place. And I've got friends who've been there and they say to me, it's a bit like the Wild West out there. And, you know, we've all read Joseph Conrad's Heart of Darkness, which has been reviewed recently by by kind of modern scholars as being uh, full of all kinds of uh, of ugliness that we, you know, we should really put to the the past and to human experience of the 1800s but the reality is that the place is a bit of a mess and there's still huge internecine battles and the east and the and the west of the congo don't talk and then across the the congo river you've got brazzaville and that doesn't talk to uh you know to to the democratic republic of congo so i mean what's the story there at the moment is there any light at the end of the tunnel for them well a, a little bit in the sense that uh you, you know the the East of the Congo is working a little better, uh, and Chisakedi seems to be doing a 
sort of halfway decent job. It's it's uh, the the fact that it's still together that that huge country <laughs> at the beating heart of Africa, surrounded by what eleven other neighbours, uh, is still a single entity. Is in itself a kind of African miracle. You know, it should have broken apart. The secessionists who, who killed Patrice Lumumba should really have, you know, under the the the. The country should really be uh, broken, but it's there, it's together and trying. If it works, you know, for example, if the uh, hydroelectric program that it has does manage to work, then, uh, I mean, it, it could uh, power the entire Africa. You yeah. know, if it worked, uh, Zimbabwe could feed great parts of Africa. I mean, it's part of that plan of the new Africa that if certain countries manage to really work, uh, this continent really will see its new dawn. Uh, you know, South well, Africa being the kind of commercial hub, uh, the various other countries being the real breadbasket. But it, the Congo would be the country that would power Africa. You know, and uh, the, from, the point is your, they have to get it together, and they're nowhere near that. From you your, just need to go. From your mouth Sorry. to God's ears, I mean, it would just be amazing if, and we have to eat this elephant one bite at a time. And I would just love to see one of those things come true. And, and I really do hope for the Congo that they manage to have some good news in 2021. Now, while we're talking about 2021, there are a number of elections that are on the slate in, in this year. Um, which countries are you most interested in and, and where are you going to be focused for the period of 2021? Well, I mean, I'd like to say I'll be in some of them. It depends. You know, I say the Electoral Institute for Sustainable Development in Africa, uh, Sustainable Democracy in Africa, it's uh, listed 26 countries that have elections. Mm -hmm. I think the first of those will be uh, a Central African Republic that has a runoff election coming up. And then, of course, we have, I mentioned Yoweri Museveni, he's fighting off Bobby Wine uh, uh, later this month, too. And so Uganda, the Central African Republic, are the two that uh, uh, immediate ones. But Angola has elections. Um, the uh, Niger, where the they killed 100 villages just two days ago, they have elections in uh, February. Uh, so, the, but uh, South Africa, of course, is on that list because they have local elections That's in right. August. Mm -hmm. As, uh, but m many of them, presidential elections in Benin, in Cap Verde, in uh, Chad, again, a country badly beset with uh, jihadi violence. Right. Uh, uh, Djibouti, that country, you know, in uh, in the Horn of Africa, which is really, a, uh, which has signed uh, deals with China, uh, defense deals, and has a Chinese base on it. Uh, the many, many, many countries, you know, we could speak for a whole morning on the number of African countries uh, about to go to the polls. But again, you know, we look at this and we hope for democracy, but democracy has been so badly bruised, not only in Africa, but in the in the in the world, the developed world, you know, the, what has happened in the United States? Is that democracy? What has happened with Brexit? Is that democracy? Supposedly. Now, in Africa, again, we have uh, the democracy uh, and, and people say uh, on paper we have more elections than we have coups. That's certainly the case. But who are we voting for in Africa? Yeah. Is it simply the alternative is just too ghastly to contemplate? Does that make it democracy? 
You know, I would, I would love us, um, and I don't ever want to propose an agenda to you, but I'd love us to look at, uh, at some of these countries in some detail. Uh, and, and today I really enjoyed the story about the Congo because it gives a context for what's going on there now. There's so many stories, obviously, that are about the here and now, and most of the election stories will be about that stuff. But I'm sure that there are places in Africa that we could all do with a little bit of a brushing up on and i wouldn't mind uh talking a little bit about the gambia equatorial guinea um you mentioned central african republic where we had troops uh that that were attacked not so long ago i'd love to have uh some of those discussions in the in the forthcoming year too rather than focus only on the news as important as it is and i know that these are things that you care very much about and that you've spent an enormous amount of time uh, studying and investigating and you have friends in these places you have um, colleagues who you speak to there and and that's the kind of thing that we just love getting from you so thank you very much again jj and i think it's going to be a great year it's good to have you on board well i will look at something in detail every time we speak in future what are the spanish-speaking countries in africa we know the french we know the lucifer we know the english uh angola um Angola is uh, uh, Portuguese. Portuguese, and so is Mo- as Mozambique, right? So we've got yes, yes. Uh, what, what do we have? You just mentioned you mentioned oh, Equatorial Equatorial you Guinea. Mentioned Equ- Equatorial Guinea, yes, is Spanish, and the other is Western Sahara, which oh, of course okay. was the colony of of, of Spain. Before oh. Franco fell, yeah. I would, I would love to hear a, a, a bit more about these places because, you know, this is our immediate neighborhood. This is like uh, under lockdown. I've suddenly got to know my neighbors. So maybe this is one of the reasons that we should, we should focus on, on our immediate neighbors on, on the continent <laughs> as well. Thank you very much. JJ Cornish, African Analysis, which is brought to you every uh, two weeks by the Joburg Business School. You can find out more about them the Johannesburg Business School, by going onto the internet. Look them up. They do amazing stuff. And they're also connected all over the continent. And they want you to uh, consider, especially if you are in business or you're thinking about business or you're studying, uh, what opportunities and, uh, and potential there is on this enormous continent of ours. And in places like the Congo, which we were talking about today, where only the brave tread from a business point of view, but there is enormous opportunity in a place like that if you're prepared to uh, to go and figure it out and do some investigation. JJ Cornish and African Analysis. Cliffcentral.com